Hey, Lincoln, uh, today's a, a great day, man. We have just had a lot of fun today. Uh, Dr. Jonathan Pennington is here from Southern Seminary, and uh, he's been bringing uh, all three messages. Uh, I've heard they're all three different. I think uh, Chris probably announced that earlier, so you can get on the web and check out the other two. The first one was on the Beatitudes uh, about uh, the blessed life, and then uh, la- the last service, the second service, was on uh, the praise of men or the praise of God. And uh, really convicting to a, a guy like me who uh, is really tempted to live for the praise of men. And so you can get on there and check those out. Um, Dr. Jonathan Pennington from Southern Seminary. Uh, so glad to have him today and so glad to see how the Holy Spirit has been working through him to bless us in our church. And so you give him your attention and we pray for the Holy Spirit uh, to speak through him today. Well, good morning uh, from me. It is uh, wonderful to be here. This is my third time to be out in Woodward in the last six or seven years, and every time I enjoy it more and more. Um, I'm a small-town boy, not a head and grow up out in the country, and so I was able to bring my kids with me this time, and they're the same way. We live in Louisville, Kentucky, and so we don't get to ride four-wheelers and shoot guns and feed cows cake and things like that. So it's been... We would try to feed them another kind of cake, probably accidentally, not the cake they have here. So it's been a wonderful time for our family to be here. And I'm just blown away again about uh, just the the beauty that God has formed in this people in this part of the country. I really say that with all sincerity. It has been wonderful for us. Uh, As Jason said, I have decided to preach three different sermons this morning um, because... I uh, have worked a lot of time in the Sermon on the Mount, particularly over the last many years. And so you don't have to listen to the other sermons. What I'm going to say today I think will make sense without that. But uh, particularly I am going to be in chapter 6 today and and this morning. And it relates to, in part, to what I was saying in the last hour over at the other campus. So you might want to go back at some point and and listen to that. But today will be, uh, I hope, makes sense by itself as well. My point today, I'm calling this message, The Treasure, The Carrot and the stick, the treasure, the carrot, and the stick. And I really just want to look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 34. And just to tell you what I'm going to do, I just want to kind of walk through the text for a few minutes together, try to explain it, and then try to say that I think there's actually a consistent thread or theme through these verses. And then just try to hear, think God's thoughts after him and and see what he might be saying to us this morning. So I'd like to pray for us. Uh, This seems a little hot, if I can put that back. Um, I'd like to pray for us as we begin this morning. Our Father, we are very glad uh, that you are the consistent and good and faithful one, and that you are glad to speak to your people. That's what we're hoping in today, not any skills or talents or anything else that are fickle and inconsistent, but we're trusting in you to open the scriptures And speak to our hearts today. So we ask you to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. So in Matthew chapter 6, I'd love for you to turn there uh, with me and look at some verses uh, there, beginning in verse 19. If you were to pick up like a a commentary on the Gospel of Matthew, do I have this right? Yeah. If you were to pick up a commentary on the Gospel of Matthew, 
and uh, read in this section where the commentator is writing about chapter 6, verses 19 to 34, what you'd find is that actually most of the time commentators don't know quite what to do with all of this. And in fact, if you look in your Bibles, you'll see that it's usually broken up into various different little paragraphs. And when you read them all together, it doesn't actually seem to kind of say one thing. It seems to be saying a bunch of different things. Um, and I want to suggest to you again today that there's, there actually is a consistent message here. So here, that's the question to begin with, just what is going on in these verses in 19 to 34? And I want to start in verse 19, and I bet you're familiar with these verses, and let's read them, or you watch along as I, as I read these. It says in chapter 6, verse 19, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but instead lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. These verses, I want to suggest to you, are the red-hot center of all of Matthew chapter 6. And in fact, they emanate out in circles, as it were, from these verses. In the last hour, as I said, I actually preached from chapter 6, verses 1 to 21. And what happens in these verses right here relates to verses 1 to 18. But in another way, as it emanates out from these verses, it relates to the verses that follow in uh, 19 through 34. And the key verse is that verse 21. And how many of you know this verse? You probably know this verse since you were a child, many of you. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that is a key biblical principle. That is a key teaching from Jesus that is saying this very profound principle that whatever you and I treasure, whatever you and I value the most is where our heart really is. Our hearts are revealed, in fact, in the thing that we treasure the most, whether it is earthly things or heavenly things, whether for you it is football or hunting or vacations or cross-stitching, or quilting, or theology and books even. Whatever it is, whatever you value the most, Jesus says, that's where your heart is. That's what you treasure, and that is who you are. You see, it may seem obvious to say that's where your heart is, but we need to realize that doesn't just mean our affections and our feelings. To say, For Jews to say that's where your heart is means that's your very identity. You see, in biblical language... There's another word that they often use for feelings. Like we use the word heart for feelings. We just had Valentine's Day and we all had hearts on there. Um, but the, in, the, in biblical language, the word for feelings is actually bowels, right? It, they, they use that as the sort of metaphor to refer to feelings. When they talk in the Bible about heart, that includes our feelings, but that's our actual identity. That is, it's who you are when all is stripped away the quiet moments by yourself when you're not putting up projections and trying to make people like you and think you're a certain way, the person who you really are, that's what Jesus says is your heart is. And your treasure reveals who that real person is, you see. Now, that's the key to this whole passage. And let me show you that the verses that follow are actually talking about this same Thing. Look with me at verses 22 and 23. Jesus says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? 
Okay, well, that doesn't seem to relate at all. That seems like a totally new idea. A totally, and you got to have a little different heading over your Bible, uh, maybe there at that point. Um, the idea, the metaphor, the image is pretty easy to understand. Light is good, dark is bad, right? You need to have a good eye, not a bad eye. But I want to suggest to you that actually this is more of the same teaching, verse, verse, verses 19 and 21, from verses 19 and 21. You see, this idea of having a whole or sound eye is the idea of having an undivided eye, having a consistent, pure, undivided person. Because you're either, Jesus says, a dark person or a light person. There's no in between. And part of the problem with these verses for us is that, of course, when you and I think about how light works, because we've all been tied in science class and biology in high school or something, we think of it as light coming into the eye, that the eye sort of passively receives light. And so when we read these verses, it's very odd. But in the ancient world, up and really till the modern period, most people thought that light came out of the eye, right? And so that's what Jesus is talking about. The eye is the lamp of the soul, as it were, that who you are as a person comes out of your eyes. And one of the ways this, this has manifested itself in cultures is with what's called the evil eye that maybe you husbands got this morning from your wives or vice versa, right? It's not, it's an equal opportunity employer. Uh, the evil eye for us is mostly a joke, but in many cultures, I just recently, when I was in Australia, met a man from India and I was talking about this issue and he said, this is part of his daily life in India, that people give each other the evil eye. That is very dangerous. I mean, it's not just you're mad at them. To give someone the evil eye means you're jealous and envious of them and you're cursing them, right? So in the ancient world, a lot of people, it's this way in India today, but you can buy amulets and necklaces and things that are supposed to ward off the evil eye. If some of you have been in Africa and other places, this is an important part of their culture because there's still this understanding that what, who you are as a person comes out, right, and can affect other people. So that's what's going on in these verses. He's saying that you are either on the inside, in your person, your heart, either a light, good, God-oriented person, or there's darkness and there's no in-between, right? And this is who you are as a person. But hold on, you still may not see how it all goes. You can see, look at the next verse, 24. You can see this relates to it. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. Again, it sounds like it's a totally new, new idea here, but I want to suggest to you this is all part of the same idea. Because to give the evil eye to someone in the ancient world and even today in India and Africa and places like that is that you are often, again, jealous of them uh, and you want not for good to them and not generosity toward them, but you're jealous and envious of what they have. And these verses are saying that you and I have either an orientation towards God or an orientation towards money. Do you see that? You cannot serve God and man. This Either your heart is one that's oriented towards God, so you are generous towards others, or your heart is oriented towards me and getting money and serving money and protecting myself. And when you're that way, your heart and your eye is not going to be positive towards others. Right? My point of this is that these are the exact same, this is the same idea as verses 19 to 21. You're either laying up treasures toward God in heaven or you're laying them up on earth with men. Do you understand? Okay, now hold, 
Hold your hats there and look at the next verses as well then. Um, In verse uh, 25 here and following, Um, it's very clear. Let me read these for you. Therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, and they don't toil or spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, King Solomon, in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, but your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient is the day for its own trouble. What's very clear from these verses is that Jesus is, of course, exhorting us to not be anxious. It's hard to miss that point. I mean, that was repeated all throughout there in the beginning, in the middle, and the end. But where we really struggle, I think, when we read these verses is how in the world these relate to the previous verses, right? We just talked about the importance of being generous toward God and toward others, not having a dark soul that is greedy and laying up treasures on earth rather than, than with God. But what in the world do these verses have to do with that? Is it just a totally new idea? Well, I'm going to suggest to you not, and this is my... Next thing I want to say to you, the next major point, and I want to say to you that the key to understanding all of Matthew 6 here from 19 to 34 is it hinges on that word at the beginning of verse 25. And what is it? Therefore, whenever you see that word in the Bible, you need to realize we're not in a new idea. We're saying here's the consequence of what Jesus has just been saying. Therefore, that first word in verse 25, therefore. So why is that important? Because this is explaining what's going on. Here's the logic of what this passage is saying. Jesus has just revealed this profound heart treasure principle and has told us that we're either living one way or the other. We're laying up treasures with God, awaiting the coming kingdom, or we're being foolish and laying up treasures on earth. We're either worshiping God or we're worshiping money. We're either serving others or we're serving ourselves. And if we are wise, we will set our hearts on the right treasure, God's kingdom, the joy of light, the satisfaction of worshiping God. And this is where the therefore comes in. In light of the fact that we can't serve two masters at once, Jesus says, then why in the world are you living for the world's master named money? That is, why are you worrying and caring about the cares of this world? Why are you constantly giving your time and your energy and your hearts, most importantly, and to focus on food and drink and clothing and shelter and iPads and iPods and Six Flags and retirement funds and fun-filled vacations, all those things that are entirely bound up with the earthly perpetual side of the equation. If you can't serve, Jesus says, both God and these things of the world, then why are you living as if you could serve both of them? Now, hear hear me clearly here. I'm not saying there's anything necessarily wrong 
by any means, with food and drink and clothing and shelter and iPads and iPods. We have both of those. And retirement funds and Caribbean cruises. Those things are actually all wonderful gifts, whether they're necessities or luxuries. They are all gifts from God to be enjoyed. In fact, Christians of all people can enjoy the things of the earth more than anyone. Because we're able to understand that these are all gifts from God and we're able to take a piece of perfectly cooked steak and say, praise God. <laughs> I mean, really, we really can appreciate because we are, in connected, we are connected with our creator who made all these beautiful luxuries and necessities and sunsets to steaks. He made them all and we can worship God truly through all that he's given us. We are in that position. So there's nothing inherently wrong with those. What's the danger The danger is that we can always take those things and make them our treasure. And if you make those things your treasure, that's where your heart is. That's where your life is. And that is the danger Jesus is warning about. See, I always have to remember, God in the Bible is just as hard on asceticism as he is on on, uh, foolish living apart from God. What is asceticism? A religion that says, don't do that, don't do this, that's bad, that's bad. That's not God. Do you realize that? That's Paul explicitly says, don't trust the people who give you a bunch of things to do and not do. Right? That's not the gospel. That's just religion. Right? So God is no fan of that kind of view. He loves for us to enjoy all things as a worship experience to him. Right? So... The issue, though, is the heart of what you treasure. It's so easy for you and I to turn Christianity into just another religion about the things we're supposed to do and not. God doesn't care about religious people. He looks at and sees your heart, and that's what he cares about. And the principle here is that he wants to say to us this morning, what are you really treasuring? That's who you are today. And here's the great irony. When we do try to live as Christians in both of these worlds, serving two masters, the result then is actually anxiety. Do you see that? That's what this is saying. Therefore, don't be anxious. In other words, when you and I try to say, yes, I want to serve God, but boy, I really just really want to take a Caribbean cruise, right? Then the result is actually anxiety about money. The result is actually a torn life because you see anxiety is the ultimate example about being split as a person. Do you realize that? Because when we are, and I'm a worrier, so I'm speaking out of personal experience. When you and I are anxious and worried about the future, we are actually splitting ourselves temporally in time. We're not living now. We're actually trying to live now and living in something that doesn't exist yet, the future. Do you see that? And we are split as a person. That's what anxiety is. It is not a singularity. It is not a wholeness. It's not a purity of heart. It's a split person. Now, listen, I understand. Some of us, there, there are things that are scary in life. And there are things that we are anxious about in a lot of ways. And God is gracious. He knows that. And some of us are more inclined to be anxious than others. Right? By our personalities, by our backgrounds, experience. There's no condemnation here. I'm not saying don't ever, and I'm not just saying to you, just stop it. Stop being anxious. That's not going to work, right? You can tell yourself that. That's not going to work. But what I'm saying to you is I want to help you begin to see that when we are anxious, sometimes that's a result. It's an indicator 
that we're trying to serve two masters at once. It's not always. Our child is sick. We're rightly anxious, right? But a lot of times when it comes to the issue of money, the anxiety we have about money, and I have a lot of anxiety about money. I do. I do. That, again, real life, we have to be practical. We have to provide for our families. It's totally normal. But I always need to be checking my heart and saying, if I'm really anxious right now, it's probably because I'm trying to hold, have my cake and eat it too, as it were. I'm trying to both serve God and serve money at the same time because money will give me pleasure, I think. Right? And so, and Jesus says, actually, don't be anxious. <laughs> right? This reveals that we're living in this twofold way. Right? So, the final point then today, and thank you, you've been very attentive, and I appreciate that. Then this is the final point is what I call the carrot and the stick. All right? And the carrot and the stick. My point is, if it's true that you and I want to have a singular devotion, doesn't mean we're perfect, doesn't mean we're sinless, it means we're singular in our devotion to God. If that's, if that's what we want to be true of us, and we know that living a split life results in all kinds of disaster for us, then what do we do? Well, I want to suggest to you that Jesus here in this passage gives us both a carrot and a stick. And do you know what I mean by that? You guys know mules and donkeys more than I do, right? <laughs> Probably. But my understanding is you want to get a horse or a donkey to move, especially in the old days. Um, you, there's two ways to do it. You can hang a carrot in front of them so that they're searching after something good, and you can drive them from behind, right? And the reality is that God actually often motivates us in both those ways as well, both with a carrot and with a stick, as it were. And just if you raise children, you know both of those are important. If you only have one and not the other, you're going to have a messed up situation, right? If you, it's all carrot-driven, they're eventually going to get sick of those carrots and not listen to you anymore, right? And if it's all stick-driven, you're going to lose their hearts, right? So what is the carrot and what is the stick? Well, let's, that God is giving us to live a singular life, not a split life. Well, first, let's look at the stick here real briefly. On the stick side, that is the warnings God gives us about putting our heart treasure in this world. The first one is there in in verse 20 that we already saw that they're going to be destroyed if you do that. If you put your hopes in the things of this world, moth and rust will eventually destroy them, right? And you can't control that. You can try as you might, but you're not going to be able to stop it. There's going to be destruction. And the same thing happened in verse 30. The same, same stick is there. If God clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, that's the reality. Nothing lasts. Verse 23, here's another stick. The eye of the lamp is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Jesus says, if you live serving mammon, serving the money of the world, it's going to result in darkness in your life. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for either you hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. <clears throat> you cannot serve God and money. The other stick, you will end up worshiping something other than God. Verse 30. Look there again. If God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive, tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? This is one of Jesus' favorite things to call the disciples his beloved disciples, whom he really loves. He calls them often you of little faith. 
Because living a split life is the opposite of faith. That's the point, right? Living a split life is the opposite of trusting God. The opposite of verse 33, seeking first the kingdom and his righteousness. It's instead living a dual life. And then also, mostly then here in verses 27 and 34, that you will have anxiety. That's, I think, the biggest stick here. That in the reality is that if you too try, as I've already said, to live a dual life, the result is not going to be happiness. It's actually going to be a life full of anxiety. And who wants that? Right? Now, that's the stick side. Sticks and warnings, though, as I've said, are never enough, really, to get to the heart. The way God's made us, we're really carrot people. And God is a carrot God. This is the great news today. God is a carrot-giving carrot-loving God, right? He doesn't just warn with sticks. He does those for our good. Those are guardrails on the, on the journey of our lives. But he really loves to say, to appeal to us with promises, with carrots this morning. And thankfully, this is how God deals with it. And let's just look at these here. Verse 20, he says, again, if you live a singular life devoted to me, you will never lose your reward. Never. There is no penny or no hour of investment that you make in someone else for the kingdom of God that will ever be lost, lost, will ever be wasted. You will not lose anything you've laid up at all because moth and rust cannot touch those eternal investments. Right? That is good news. That little thing that you do for your spouse, maybe, that no one's going to see, or your children, or somebody at this church. Maybe it's monetary. Maybe it's your time. Take courage today. God sees that thing done in secret, and he says it will never be lost. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with rejoicing in that. Christianity is not a religion that says you can't get anything out of us. You just need to serve God out of duty. That is not the gospel. The gospel is full of staggering promises saying, don't be foolish and get the bad joy. Get the real joy. Get the real rewards. The gospel is not saying, do your duty and everything will be okay. It's saying, come get the great reward. The reward that never lasts, never ends, never is destroyed. That's the carrot that God is offering us. Look at verses 22 and 24. Again, you will know this carrot that you will know the joy of being in light and serving God. There is a joy in being rightly aligned with your creator that you will have a fullness. You'll have a light that will be a mark of your life. And then best of all, look again at verse 26 there that I've already read. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly father feeds them Are you not of more value than they? Look at verse 30. Will he not much more clothe you? Verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. These are carrots. These are not religion. These are gospel gifts saying you will receive everything. You have given anything up. For me, as Jim Elliott, the great missionary martyr, you probably know, said famously, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That is no foolishness. That is wisdom from God. 
And it's so easy in the midst of anxiety when we're worried about money and whether we're going to lose the ranch or have enough to do this or whatever it is, lose our job. It's so easy in the midst of anxiety to fall back into this double life, right? But this is the bedrock truth. So dear wives today, God knows deeply your need for security and a sense that everything's going to work out. And that nagging sense that you have that controls you and out of control might make you nag and manipulate your husband so that you can feel secure. That is not out of faith. That is you trying to control the situation out of a real insecurity. I understand that. It's hard to be married to a guy. (laughs) Right? He all seemed fine when you were 18, but now you've seen him in his boxer shorts and you've seen how he really lives. And it's hard to really trust yourself to another person, isn't it? It's hard. God knows that. And he cares. But the role of faith in this is to say, the Father knows your needs and will meet them. And every investment you make in your marriage to keep it together to serve and help will not be lost. God knows your needs and he loves you and says, you are mine. So you don't have to be insecure that your husband's going to take your savings and buy a speedboat. Don't do that guys. right. In case you just need to know that you can trust the Lord that he will provide for you. You really can. And you don't have to take the thing into your own hands because you know what? When you try to take the thing in your own hands, you're going to be miserable and full of anxiety. And men, you sons of God, your heavenly father knows the burdens you bear. He knows that you need to feel like you are doing something meaningful with your life. He knows that you need to feel like you're providing for yourself and for others And he knows that you have to feel like you have worth, right? But that anxiety that those things are true of you can really lead us as men to do really uh, dumb things, things of pride, things of self-promotion, and can make us not take care of our wives and family, right? Because we are living for money and living for all that we think it will give us. And I want to say to you today, men, first of all, there's a stick here, beware. But most of all, there's a carrot that God says, my dear son, you're never going to find life in the amount of money you make. You're never going to find life in the amount of savings account you have or how many acres you own. You're never really going to find life in anything that of of power in your job or anything. None of those things are going to satisfy Instead, seek first my kingdom and I will provide all your needs of worth and, and value as a man. And young people, those of you who are still excited enough to get, about, to get Christmas presents, you know, one of the most painful lessons in life is to learn, of course, that everything breaks eventually. Toys get lost, video games get boring, and even money doesn't end up satisfying Young people, I say to you, now is the time to begin to hear and grow in wisdom and say, 
I am going to seek to orient my life around God because Jesus will never fail me. Like every toy and video game and gift card, none of those things are really going to satisfy. Only following Jesus will do so. Today is the day. So our God loves carrots. That's what I really want to say to you. And he invites you to not live a life of anxiety, but to live a life of faith by seeking first his kingdom and trusting that he is at work for you and for your good. So be sensitive to your hearts. When you feel in your heart anxiety, some anxiety is normal and okay, but some of it may be a revealing that you're living a dual life and not seeking first the kingdom. Amen? Let me pray for us. Our Father, we approach you as a people who um, are very needy and, in fact, are needing a, a heart transplant, as it were. We need for you to change us so that we would, we would begin to learn to, to be weaned away from thinking that things in this world are going to satisfy when they don't. God, let today be a day where we taste and see that you're good that we have moments where you just break through and reveal yourself to us. Please do that so that we can begin to be free from, from this addiction to the things of this world. And we thank you for your kindness toward us in Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.